Hello, and welcome to the podcast for 613. This message was given by Danny Strange. After seven years of waiting tables, Amber had gotten pretty good at knowing who the cheapskates were going to be. She could spot them when they came in the door. She'd go over to a table and a group of men would be there watching football and they'd kind of disregard her and say, stay away from the TV. She knew in that moment, they're going to need a lot from me and give me nothing for it. A group of women would come in and they'd sit down and they would just be talking and 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 Amber would come up and say, hey, can I get you your drink order? And they'd just keep talking and 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 she starts to go away and they say, whoa, hold on, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. She thinks this is going to be a long night. And she was able to tell who the good tippers were going to be. She'd go to the table and they'd be nice. And they weren't rude. And they didn't demand things of her. They were friendly. They remembered her name. And, and in those first few moments of connecting with a group, she was able to know if they were going to be gracious or stingy. And so Amber was blown away the night that she showed up at a table and she got what she had not expected from a group. It was four college students. And they were nice. And they were cordial. And they called her Amber, not Hey You. And they ordered appetizers. And they ordered drinks. And they ordered their dinner. And, and they were friendly. As she was getting ready to, to close up this tab, she thought, okay, this is going to be a good one. And she was hoping for a good tip. She needed to spend some money and buy some food that weekend. And, and so she brings the black folder over and she drops it on the table and says, hey, take your time. And they look at it and they put it down and they keep talking. Amber comes back 10 minutes later and they're still talking and the, the bill's still there. And they said, oh yeah, sorry, we haven't gotten it to it yet. She says, hey, take your time, take your time, take your time. And then she comes back again and they're still talking. And, and they say, hey, we're so sorry. You don't have to tend to us. And so eventually, she kind of lets them slip into the back of her mind. And she goes to the other tables that she's waiting on. And, and then finally, she turns around and they're gone. And so she goes over and grabs the bill and starts to walk back to the station and opens it up. And it's, it's empty. Did they forget to pay? They must have just forgotten to pay. And so she goes out to the parking lot and, and gone. They're gone. And that feeling sinks into her heart, into her stomach, where she knows... They just made a fool of me. They just drew me in, pretended to be my friends, and then ripped me off. And so she took that empty tab and had to go back to her manager and, and tell him what happened. She said, hey, I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. I thought I wasn't watching. I went back to the kitchen for a second, and they disappeared, and you could take it out of my paycheck. I'm so and the manager said, hey, hey, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. This happens. Actually, it's been happening a lot lately. So we should get together after work today. Let's pull everyone together. Let's talk about a plan. How can we stop this from happening? And so after work, all the waiters and the busboys and the barbacks and the bartenders and everybody, they gather around and the manager closes up shop and says, okay, we got to deal with this whole issue. People are coming in and then they're leaving and they're not paying. And they're very sneaky. He says, they'll draw you in. You got to watch them. So we're going to make some changes. We're going to change our stations around. We're going to change our sections around. And just keep an eye on your tables. If you feel like anything's wrong, just stay close. And hey, don't be overbearing. Don't be accusative. Don't be weird about it. But just watch the people. 
And if anyone does leave, if you go over to a table and you open it up and they're gone and there's no money there, go after them. Go quick and try to find them in the parking lot. And they, I know it's awkward, but don't make a scene. You don't have to accuse. Just pretend like it was, it was a mistake and just say, hey, 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 before you guys get in your car, um, I noticed uh, you may have forgotten to pay the bill. And chances are that they'll be ashamed and embarrassed, and so they'll like the fact that you gave them an out, and they'll just say, oh, we're so sorry, here's our credit card, and, and if so, great, just take the credit card, swipe it, and they're on their way. Sometimes they're belligerent. Come and get me if you need to. Sometimes they're still belligerent. I'll call the police if I need to. We'll take care of it, but listen, you guys don't have to worry <laughs> about the bill. You're not paying for this. So, restaurant, we'll take care of that. Somebody raises their hand and says, okay, what about the tips? Oh, yeah, there's nothing we can do about that. So Amber raises her hand. She says, well, if you go out there and you talk to them and, and they give you the card and you swipe it and it's all good, then what? Like, what do you mean then what? Do we call the police? Well, you don't need to call the police. Do we write down their name? You know, do we take their photo and post it on Instagram? Do we stick it up at the front door? <laughs> Darn and dasher. I said, no, no, we don't do that. So we're just going to let them walk away. So like, no, they paid. They paid because they paid we found them. <laughs> this is my money we're talking about here. This is my livelihood. This is how I feed my family here. So you're saying I just go after them. I confront them. Then they say, oops, we're sorry. And then you bring them back in again and say, see you tomorrow. The manager says, yeah, that's, that's about it. And everybody starts to talk and grumble, right? Like, what? What kind of place is this? You know what kind of culture this is going to create? We're going to be that restaurant where people are going to try to find ways to sneak out and not get caught because they know that the worst thing that will happen is they'll have to apologize. Because isn't there like a three strikes rule with this or anything? They have to dine and ask once, fine, twice, fine, three times, fine. But you know what? On the third time, you get a fine. Or we call the cops. Or we throw you in jail, right? Or we say, at least... Never come back here again. And the manager says, hey, we want this to be a place where everyone's welcome. And if they do that to you 77 times, invite them back the next day. You can kind of feel the anxiety that would cause you if you were on the wait staff of a restaurant, right? You're thinking... I don't know if I want to work here anymore. I don't want to be part of a place <laughs> where people can just do whatever they want and get a slap on the wrist and then come on back in again. And Jesus is having a similar conversation with his disciples in Matthew 18. He's telling them about this new kingdom, the kingdom of God that is starting, and they're going to be leaders within it. Jesus says, okay, there's an issue that can destroy our kingdom. There's an issue that can destroy our communities. It's the issue of sin. So in Matthew 17 and Matthew 18, Jesus starts explaining how we as a people can deal with this cancer of sin amongst us. Jesus says you need to be very careful that you don't fall into sin yourself. You need to be very careful that you don't cause someone else to sin. And you need to know how to handle it if somebody sins against you. Because there's a betrayal that we feel if someone sins against you. 
when Amber came back and saw that her bill was empty. It wasn't just, oh, they got me. You know, there's something deep inside of you. You feel like you've been played. You feel like you've been wronged. You feel like someone has just done something. You've been violated, you know. And Jesus says, that's going to happen to you in the church. There are going to be people that abuse you. They're going to stab you in the back. They're going to pretend to be all nice to your face, and then they're going to go and gossip about you. They're going to get close to you just to get your secrets, and they're going to go and share your secrets with the other people in the community. You need to know that this might happen, that you can do your best to avoid sin and to avoid causing sin, but sin happens, and so you need to know what to do when it does. And so Jesus gathers his disciples together and says, okay, let's have a little leadership meeting here and talk about what to do when sin happens to you. So somebody sins against you, he says, go after him. You go and find him out in the parking lot and say, um, hey, uh, you might have sinned against me. And Jesus says, you know what? If they repent, good. You've won them over. Bring them back in. Hey, if they don't repent, bring some other people along. You know, rough them up a little. Just kidding. <laughs> they don't want to relent. They don't want to stop. They don't want to get out of the sin that they're in and that's destroying the community. Bring the church into it. And you might have to say, you're not welcome here. You might have to do that. But you know what? The goal is not that. The goal is not the dine and ditcher to leave in a cop car. The goal is that you get the credit card, you swipe it, and you bring them back in and see, say, see you for dinner service tomorrow. He says, that's the goal when we go and live in the church community and people sin against us. The goal is not to say, forget you, I hope you leave. The goal is to win them back and bring them back into our family. And like Amber, Peter raises his hand. Probably not actually. It's probably a new thing that we do. And he says, Jesus, um, he's probably taking notes. You know, like, okay. How to lead the New Testament church. When someone sins, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. If they sin seven times or 77 times and they repent 77 times, forgive them 77 times, right? So Peter raises his hand. He says, okay, Jesus, how many times do we do this? Three times was kind of the normal in that society. It's like in ours. There's a three strikes out kind of thing. And back then it was the same thing. People said, you know what? Give people a second chance. Give them a third chance. But that's it, right? So Peter knows that Jesus is more gracious than other rabbis that are around. And so he assumes that Jesus will have a higher number than three strikes. And so Peter says, how many strikes till you're out? How many times can someone mess with you and, and push against you and sin against you and betray you and then come back and apologize and you receive them back again? What's the limit, Jesus? Is it seven times? And Jesus just says, oh, it's not seven times. If you want a number, how about 77 times? And I don't know if Peter's like 77 times perfect, you know, one But they all knew what Jesus was getting at. Jesus wanted to usher in a kingdom that had unlimited chances for forgiveness. I wonder if the disciples started to murmur at that moment. Did you hear what he just said? 77. Is he crazy? They start thinking about people in their heads that have betrayed them. Like, I'm not giving them another chance. I think I already gave them 77 chances. And as is his custom, Jesus doesn't answer with a lecture. He answers with a story. 
Jesus says, imagine there's a king. He decides that it's time to settle accounts with his servants. There are people in that community who owed the king different amounts of money, and it was, it was the day of reckoning. It was judgment day. So the king brings in one guy, and he opens up the book, and the guy is in debt to the empire 10,000 talents. I don't know how many talents are in your bank account, but not 10,000. 10,000 is like a billion dollars, a trillion dollars, a, a huge amount of debt. This guy, in other words, comes to the king and he owes him a sum of money there is no chance he will ever repay. And the king says, okay, it looks like you need to write me a check for a Google Dollars. <laughs> and knowing that there's no way the guy could repay it, the king says, hey, let's just do this. Let's liquidate your assets and sell your house. Let's sell your stuff. Let's sell your horses. Let's sell your cows. Let's sell your kids. Let's sell your wife. Let's sell all of you. And whatever money we can get from your house and from your stuff and by selling your kids and your wife into slavery and you as an indentured servant will just take that and, and that's all you have. Your life is over, right? That's, I want it all. No dad would let that happen without a fight. Say, so, hey, I sell my kids into slavery. Sure, sure, sure. It sounds fair. Sell my wife. I'm going to go home and tell my wife, hey, I made a deal for, you for her money. Uh, we're all slaves now and our stuff's gone. So the guy is kind of at his last rope. You know, he gets down on his knees before the king and he says, just give me some more time. I'll pay you back everything. You know, with a billion dollar or a trillion dollar debt, that's just a gesture. He, what he's really saying is, let me maintain my life with my family. Please don't make this the end of us. I, I will spend the rest of my life just paying you and paying you and paying you. And I can be your slave, but please let me keep my kids. Let me keep my family. Just give me more time with them. And the king has mercy on this man. And he says, you know what? Let's just call it even. You can picture the guy kind of looking around like, what? Let's just get out of here. Your debt is canceled. And the guy must have ran out of here with a new outlook on life, right? My debt is canceled. You know, if you've been in debt, if you are in debt, you know that it's that weight that hangs over you every moment of every day. This guy was at a place where he knew that one day his debt would be called to an account. And he was dreading that day because he knew what would happen. Everything's gone. His family's destroyed. He loses his kids. And that day came and he stood at the end of it alive with his family and his stuff. And as he skipped out of the palace, and the people saw the butterflies and the birds following him, probably thinking, what's with this guy? Everybody kind of heard that the king was settling accounts, and so everyone's nervous. And yet this guy leaves happy. <laughs> his debt was forgiven. And as this guy goes back to his house, it seems like he was starting to imagine what he can do now? We can, we can actually have a life. We can make something of ourselves. We don't have to give every penny over to the empire anymore. We can actually build our own existence. And so he's thinking, okay, I, I need to get some, some startup capital. 
I need to find some way that I can get some income coming in, and so now I can, with this freedom, go and live freely and build the life that I want. And then he gets an idea. He's got a buddy who owes him 100 denarii. Now, denarii is a day's wages. So what's, what's minimum wage these days? Eight bucks? So eight times eight is, this is going to be really hard math for a second. Eight times eight is 64. 64 times 100 6400 $6,400. It's like, I got a guy, I got a friend who owes me six grand. Did I do the math wrong? Okay. I got a guy who owes me six grand. What can I do with six grand, you know? I, I can go and take my wife on vacation. I can, I can go and put a down payment on that chariot or whatever. I don't know. Get it? Yeah. And so he goes and he finds his buddy. He's like, so, hey, buddy, um, you know how you owe me six grand? <laughs> um, I need it. It's like, what? It's like, I need the six grand. It's like, I don't have the six grand. And so this guy, in like this fit of rage, he grabs the guy by the neck and he says, I need my money. And the guy's like, okay, this is real. <laughs> this is real. And he gets down on his knees before him and he says, give me more time. I'll pay back everything that I owe you. Just give me more time. And this guy says, no way. I want my money now. So he takes this guy and he throws him in jail. He says, that'll teach you to build up a debt against me and not pay me back when I ask you to. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in that town on that day? That's a wave of emotions. The king is settling an account with his servants. You're like, oh no, I've got an account to settle today. The first guy goes in and everyone's like, nope. And then the guy comes skipping out of the palace, forgiven. You think, there's hope for me. The king is, is being merciful. The king is being lenient. The king is letting people off. There's a new day. There's a new king. There's freedom that's coming. And, and the first guy skips out of the palace and skips over to his buddy and chokes him out. And they go, whoa. Like, first of all, that's just messed up. You know, imagine that your buddy won the lottery, and you go over to his house for dinner, and he's all, you're like, you won the lottery, how much was it? Like, oh, I won $7 trillion. Like, well, wow, that's, that's an, a huge amount of money. It's like, what are you going to do with it? He's like, I don't know. I thought about buying a yacht or a planet or something. <laughs> hey, you owe me 20 bucks, right? You're like, are you serious? He's like, I need my, I need my money. It's like, that's messed up, right? And, and you're going to start gossiping about that guy in a godly way, and just say, this chump won the lottery, and now he's going and trying to get more money out of us. If, if we win the lottery, let's just make a pack. If we win the lottery, let's be generous to each other. That's what we're supposed to do. So there's something inherently wrong with a guy who has a huge debt forgiven and then goes and just squelches what's going on in the community. It's wrong, but more than wrong, it's scary. Because they think, what, what if the king catches wind of what happened? And the king's in a good mood today, and, and the first guy he lets off the hook is absolutely unchanged. And what would you do if you were the king? And kings are known to kind of change their opinion wildly, and it affects everyone. And everybody's kind of nervous. Well, the king can come and say, if this is what you're going to do with the freedom I give you, people, forget it. It's over. No more mercy. No more leniency. No more grace. And, and they don't want the king to get that kind of idea. And so the people go back to the king and they say, okay, we need to tell you what happened with Frankie over there. Right? You forgave him. 
he should have been so gracious or generous. What's the word? Have gratitude. Like, King, if you forgave me today, I would be filled with gratitude. But Frankie, he walked out of the palace and he's messed up. You got to do something about this. Because we want to be a people that when you forgive us, you know, if that's what you're planning on doing today, (laughs) that we would be transformed people. And King says, Frankie did what? Bring him in. So Frankie comes in. The king says, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you asked me to. And then you go out and you find the guy who owes you money and you don't show mercy on him. Shouldn't you have shown mercy to him like I showed mercy to you? Get out of here. And he throws him in, in prison. And Jesus ends the story by saying, this is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive one another from the heart. And it's interesting, and that conversation just ends and we move on to Matthew 19. It's funny, you kind of picture Peter raising his hand slowly after that story and saying, so 77 times? <laughs> and Jesus is trying to help us to understand that if we truly understand the mercy that has been granted to us, it only makes sense that we will desire to lavish mercy on others. I mean, think of this guy leaving the palace, his debt freed. I mean, maybe, maybe you've done this. In his mind, he's justifying and rationalizing why there's nothing wrong with him getting the 6,500 bucks. And just because the king gave him a free pass doesn't mean that he has to give everyone else a free pass. I mean, truth remains, this guy still owes him 6,500 bucks. And and sure, he didn't deserve to get into a trillion dollar debt, but this guy, he knows what his friend did. He probably deserved the $6,500 debt. And we tend to do that, don't we? When God forgives us, it just makes logical sense. But when someone messes with us, that's different. You know, we never intended to mess with God. That was an accident. We built up all that debt against him, but I mean, we didn't know any better. We weren't trying to be mean, but our friend that gossiped about us, that's different. That's messed up. And just because one person forgives you doesn't mean you have to forgive someone else. Technically. If you won the lottery, you don't have to buy all your friends cars but it would be nice but you don't have to you do what you want it's your own money it was his own forgiveness he could do whatever he wants with it it was his own freedom that the king gave him he can do whatever he wants with it if the king says what you have to do with this freedom is bring freedom to others it's not freedom at all and yet jesus tells this parable to show that there's something about the forgiveness of god and the mercy of god that when we truly understand it and receive it, it changes everything. Now the king of heaven and earth who forgave us of our great debt, when we came before him and called us to account and said, hey, how did you live your life? How did you honor me with your life? What did you do in this world to bring honor to me? And the king opens the book and he says, uh, okay, you messed this thing up. 
Okay, you were messing around. You got into stuff you shouldn't. You said stuff you shouldn't. You walked away from me. You didn't listen, right? You're like, ah. The king's like, okay, I think you owe me about a trillion dollars. And you're like, ah, sorry, God. Well, we would stand before God at the judgment day, and we'd get on our knees, and we'd beg for mercy. We'd say, please, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Just give me another chance, God. Give me another chance. And our king says, the debt's paid. It's taken care of. And Jesus says, if you walk out of that experience, some of you have had that experience with God. When you came before him and you were expecting his judgment, you found his mercy. You came before him in prayer and you said, God, I know you're probably going to destroy me for this, but I've ruined my life and, and, and if you don't destroy me, I, I want to serve you with the rest of it. You find freedom there. You find grace there. You find mercy there. You always find forgiveness there. When we think of the community of faith, the only natural thing to do is to walk out and live the life that you've been given. To live a life of mercy because you've been given mercy. To live a life of faith and grace because you've been given grace. To live a life of love because the king has loved you. See, the king in his palace was not just trying to like give one of those Oprah's big gives to, to this one guy who shows up in his room. The king was bringing in a new culture. The king was saying, hey, on to this day, I'm going to bring everyone into my palace, and I'm going to settle accounts. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forgive everyone, because now this kingdom is a kingdom of forgiveness. Because what the king assumes, and what's only natural to assume, is if you bring forgiveness to all your subjects, then all of a sudden now the culture of the town is a culture of forgiveness. And imagine what a town would look like if people just bore with one another. People forgave one another. Someone bumped into you, and you said, hey, no, no problem. Not like, ah, you know, and take them down. The king thinks, if I go and I forgive all these people and the debts are freed and everyone is free with their freedom, they will live a life that is beautiful. Imagine a kingdom where everyone forgives each other every time. Where when someone messes up, you seek them out and you say, come on back, come on back, come on back. And then you rejoice that they've returned. And all it takes is one guy to go back into that community and hold grudges or, or refuse to forgive, or refuse to show mercy, or just be a total jerk to change everything. I mean, we know this just in our normal day-to-day -day life. Drive down the street and everything's going fine, then one guy cuts you off, and now your day is ruined. Right? <laughs> you think everything's great, you're checking your email, and well, well, all of a sudden you get one email where your boss says, <laughs> and now your day is done, right? Jesus says a little bit of yeast works through the whole loaf, right? Something bad enters into the community and, and it destroys the community. The king in this parable wanted a community that was full of forgiveness, full of mercy, full of love, full of grace, full of people, loving other people and serving other people. And then one guy goes out and refuses to live in light of that and he says, this guy needs to leave. Because what Jesus desires is that we would be a community that shows mercy because we've been shown mercy. So yeah, if someone among us sins against us, what we want to do is kind of run away, right? Let them leave. Let them out of here. That's their punishment. Jesus says, no, 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 no. If someone wrongs you and they run out to the parking lot and get in their car, you go find them. And you say, hey, what? I heard you were telling stories about me. 
I heard you say that thing behind my back. What's going on? I heard that you thought that I blah, blah, blah. And bring it up. And the hope in that is, is not that you'll get into a big fight. The hope in that is that they'll say, hey, I'm sorry. I mean, I was leaving because I was ashamed. Yeah, I wronged you. I wronged everyone. I've been doing my own thing. I've been spinning out of control. And I figured I'd just leave because I don't deserve to be here anymore. Jesus says, when they repent, forgive them. Oh, what happens if they do it again? What happens if that person who wrongs you wrongs you again? What do you do? And Jesus says, follow them out to the parking lot and bring them back. You know, the waiters and waitresses at that restaurant probably thought, man, these bosses just want to make money. And then this one, all the customers coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. They don't care what kind of customer they are. Sometimes we can think that about God. Is God so concerned with everyone being here that he just can't let anyone leave? We have to forgive him over and over and over and over again? That's not what God's like. That's not what the boss would be like. He said, no, I want this to be a restaurant where everyone is welcome. And people mess up. You know that? And we want to give people second chances. And God says, I want this to be a community where when my sheep wander, someone chases them down and brings them back. And you know sheep are prone to wander, right? And one of the reasons that we want to be a community where we chase people who sin is because someday you will sin. And you're going to be out in the parking lot getting in your car crying, thinking, I'm never coming back to this place. And you want someone to come after you. But if we don't go after people, then people won't come after us. But imagine a community where everyone's going after each other. Luke says in his gospel, remembering Jesus' words, if someone sins, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. If they sin seven times in a day and repent seven times in a day, forgive them seven times. That's the kind of community we want to be, isn't it? One where freedom and forgiveness flows through the streets. Where we deal with sin. And my fear in all this is that if you give someone a second chance, they're just going to walk all over you. And someone messes with you and you bring them back into their life and they mess with you again. And someone comes into your house and they steal from you and you say, hey, come on over again tomorrow night. Steal some more. <laughs> Funny thing is all these scenarios we put in our heads, they never really happen. Have you notice that? Really the people this is talking about is the people in our community who keep falling into sin over and over and over again. Do you know people like that? They're good-natured people and wanting to do the right thing. They want to serve God, and yet they stumble and fall, and they think God will never forgive me. And so we go after them, and we say, hey, God will forgive you. Come back. And they try to get back on their feet, and they start walking with the Lord, but they get sucked back into their thing again. And they think, okay, God won't forgive me again. And so we say, no, 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 God will forgive you. Come back. That's normally how this happens, is that when people wander away, it's not because they're terrible, evil people, they don't want anything to do with us. It's because they've sinned and they feel like they're disqualified from here. Those are the people we're usually chasing. And the people who are evil, who, there are evil people, right? Who come in and they just mess with the church, and we chase those people down. And you say, hey, what's going on? Why are you messing with all these people? And they don't say, I'm so sorry. They say, what? How dare you tell me what to do? I do what I want to do. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
So we get some more people around. We say, hey, man, what's going on? You're just spinning out of control here. I'm like, don't, I, I don't need you, right? And most of the time, those people run before we kick them out, right? The people Jesus is talking about are not the people who are running away. He says, go after those people and try to get them to come back. You're not dragging people back in, right? The people that this deals with are people who just mess up because they're people. And they want to be part of this community, but they feel like they've disqualified themselves. And all it takes is a man or a woman or a kid to go to them and say, hey, can we talk about this? I want to forgive you. And that's all they've been waiting for. And a person like that, I'd forgive 77 times. Sometimes it gets annoying. Sometimes you think, are you serious? You did that again? But you know what? When we actually get to know those people, we realize... These aren't bad people. Some people have a hard time with stuff. Some things are harder for some people than others. Sometimes community is really hard for people. And when we get to know people's story, we realize that a lot of times there's more to it than meets the eye. They've never had healthy community before. They've never had people who've loved them before. And maybe they're running away because they're scared of being loved like we want to love them. And what they need is someone to chase them down and say, no, 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 we're going to love you. We're never going to write you off. Not like in a weird sociopath way, but like Because <laughs> we mean it. That's one thing to do this at a restaurant. This is the kingdom of God. This is a place where we as sheep are prone to wander, all of us. Imagine what it would be like if we knew that whenever we turned our back and walked away, someone would be tapping us on the shoulder. And maybe you know people who aren't here tonight or you haven't seen in a while. And usually that's how it works. Someone starts to wander and they disappear and no one goes after them and so eventually they just kind of float off into the distance and go after them. Call them tonight. Call them on the way home and say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How are things going? And maybe it's as easy as that. If they come back, good. You've won your brother over. Okay, if something gets uncovered that's harder, let's go after him as a community. Let's get the church involved and let's bring these people back because we don't want to see people drift away. We want to stay, see them here with us in the community of faith. Tonight as we take communion, we, you could clap, sure. Go ahead and clap. Jesus tells us two things about communion. He says that when we do it, we remember his death. You remember the king who, who takes the debt and says, it's been paid? Do you wonder who paid it? And Jesus is the one who paid our debt. And when we stand before God someday, he doesn't just say, ah, oh, who cares? You sinned a bunch. And God will say, honestly, somebody paid your tab. And that person was, was Jesus, God who became flesh and lived perfectly and yet died for sin and rose from the grave. And Jesus says, whenever you eat and drink of this, remember me. Remember my sacrifice. Remember my body that was given for you. Remember my blood that was poured out for you. That when you eat this and you drink this, you remember that the life that you have, the forgiveness you have, the mercy you've received is not because the king got sick of holding people to account, but because your debt was paid in full through my blood and my body on the cross. So remember me. And he says, whenever you do this, you proclaim 
my death. That's what Paul says, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. That we stick this communion meal into our lives because it tethers us to Jesus. And we say, you know what? I need to stay here with him because he's my source. And if I stray, I'll starve. So tonight as you take communion, remember Jesus. If you're a believer in Christ, if he's forgiven your sins, come and take communion. If that's not where you're at, if you've never been forgiven of your sins, if you've never asked God to cleanse you, you've given your life to him before, spend some time and do that. You think of the prayer that the guy before God prayed, give me time, I'll pay back everything. That's not the prayer to pray. It's the prayer from last week of the man who comes before the Father and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that man went home in a right relationship with God. Ask God to give you mercy because his son died on the cross and rose on your behalf. And then come take communion and remember that and proclaim his death. Let's pray together. Tonight as we take communion, Lord, we remember your son. We remember his death. We remember that moment that we stood before you expecting judgment and heard the words paid in full. We worship you that you would put on flesh and become one of us and die for us. We pray that this communion meal would tether us to the cross of Jesus. Tonight we take a moment and we think around us of people who are not tethered to you right now. Let's take a few minutes and quietly pray for your family or friends who've wandered. And I'll close this in prayer in about 45 seconds. Father, we have friends and family and kids and parents and aunts and uncles who used to be walking with you and currently are not. We know that you know them. You know where they're at. You know their hearts. Pray that you would bring them back to yourself. Pray that you would use us to do that. That we would be people who go and confront people and not necessarily in an angry way, but just in a, hey, what's going on kind of way. And We pray that as we have those conversations that we'll see that people quickly return. That people say, hey, I didn't think I'd ever be welcome at church or in that community again. And that they would find that they've been deceived. We pray that we would be a community who is not just concerned with ourselves being tethered to you, but that we are constantly looking around us for people who are wandering and we are doing the work of connecting them back with you again. So often we could tell the signs that someone is starting to wander. We pray that you would give us sensitivity to that and let us uh, draw near to those people 
so that they will stay near to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional 613 messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.